Welcome to the Spirited Advocate Podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the leading voice for the distilled spirits industry. Now your host, Chris Swanger. Welcome back to the Spirited Advocate Podcast, conversations with folks who make the spirits industry happen because it's much more than what's in the glass. I'm Chris Swanger, President and CEO of the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. You might notice today that things sound a little bit different. We're trying some new things in order to give you a better podcast experience and tell our guest stories the best way that we can. Joining us today are two actors who played brothers on the massive CW hit, The Vampire Diaries. Now they're taking that bond they built over nearly a decade and leveraging it into a brand of bourbon. Joining us to discuss Brothers Bond Bourbon, the journey from co-star to business partner, starting a bourbon brand from scratch. Welcome Paul Wesley and Ian Summerholder. Paul and Ian, uh, thank you for being here. There's a lot of people excited about Brothers Bond Bourbon. That is for sure, including myself right here. Can't go wrong with this. Tell us about why bourbon? How did y'all land on bourbon versus tequila or vodka or one of the other great spirits? Thank goodness it wasn't Paul, tequila. Paul, tell them, we almost did tequila. No, no we didn't. <laughs> I'm, joking. I'm joking. Everyone has a tequila. No, um, for those of you who haven't, seen the show that we were on, The Vampire Diaries, we played brothers on screen who drank bourbon and fought over a girl, which is what brothers uh, sometimes do. Except that this girl was like, we were 160, 160 years old. So that's a little was, weird. It but. was a little strange. But it's... <laughs> it well, we played vampires who were fighting over this, uh, you know, mortal human girl. And anyway, we drank bourbon on screen. We bonded on screen drinking bourbon. And Ian and I, in turn, bonded off screen drinking bourbon and so this for us yeah. was extremely organic. It just, we've been talking about doing this for a decade, for, for a decade, literally. It is the most authentic thing ultimately that we could have done by virtue of the fact that these brothers bonded on screen over bourbon. And then these brothers bonded off screen over bourbon. Paul likes to tell me that it was the only way he could tolerate me, which I'm sure there was some truth to that. But you see what I mean? That organic side of it. And I'm from Louisiana, and so this was always part of my, you know, culture. But it's really special that we and we have the same palace. So there's nothing more authentic than we could have done together. Especially too, our characters were they would drink bourbon at seven in the morning. They were vampires. You know, it was comical. I'm not like promoting talking about drinking in the morning. I'm saying that's just how deep it went with these characters. What's more fun being at uh, being co-stars of a hit show, obviously. Or being business partners, bringing a great, great brand to the marketplace. Well, obviously the the show all really great. the show was a wild ride, and it's yeah. one of the, it's, it was this you know actors of all you know every time we we do a pilot or a show we think we really want it to be a great success, but never in my wildest imagination that I think it would take off the way it did. Right. So it was certainly like an unbelievable ride. But I will say, after a few years. You know, you start thinking, well, what what's going to happen after and what do we do? You know, obviously, you join another show. Great. But just ultimately, what's the next sort of evolution of us as what's human the 2.0 version, the 2.0 version of, of Ian and my 
Uh, I'll speak for the both of us, actually. Yeah. And for us, you know, this, it's been such a, a creative and fulfilling and learning experience. And it's just been nothing short of thrilling, I think. It's been amazing. Yeah. Not easy. Ian, in, in your mind, did y'all, I mean, was it easy to land on Brothers Bond Bourbon? Obviously, y'all have had a, a long bond and your buddies and all of the above. Can you tell us about the moment? It's going to be Brothers Bond Bourbon. It's actually a really funny story. I came up with the brothers. He came up with the bond. And <laughs> I we were just throwing out everything. Yeah. I mean, and I did come up with some pretty bad names. He he, but, he was like Brothers Supreme. Brothers like, Classic. Brothers you know, it was like, classic. Like, <laughs> come on. Paul dude. was like, hey, man, that's part of the creative process, right? <laughs> yeah. Paul was like, man, we are not calling our company. <laughs> well, I was we're just not thinking, calling our bourbon brothers. It's got to be supreme. It, it's got to be something that that flows. So, and then I thought, well, BB, right? Like, it's got to be a double B. So then I just started thinking like. But also, too, we were also always talking about. Yeah, the bond, the right. community. What right. is bonding? We kept saying, "What we is kept, that?" We kept using the word "bond." What are those two words? But it never occurred to that, us yeah. that are bonding. What is, and right. Paul's like, uh, "Brothers bond." The word but, bond. But we had a meeting, you know, with a uh, with a. Uh, well, no, it was Vincent. So it was a Friday. We, we, yeah, yeah. We had can. a meeting on Monday with I won't name names, but it's huge retailer, it's the single largest yeah. retailer in the world, <laughs> and our CEO Vincent Hanna, who. You know well and helped orchestrate this whole thing. Yeah, who built? Who's our co-founder? Called us on a Friday afternoon. He goes, guys, I love you. We're doing this, kicking ass. But I got to tell you, on Monday morning, I just want you to know, you have a meeting with the largest retailer in the world, which is takes months to get. We got in one afternoon. We have no name. I need a name. What is the name of our company? And so, Paul and so I we were panicking. <laughs> so, I get, these text chains are unbelievable. And they go from like eight in the morning till three in the morning. And it's just everything you can imagine throwing spaghetti on a wall. Right. And it was, and then, when, and then when we said Brothers Bond, it was like, oh my God, this Eureka it. moment. Like, of that's course, it. you know, that's yeah. it. And it was really that moment where we went, that is it. And it's, it, Actually, it, I think your response was, oh, you're not that dumb after all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sweet. You're not, you're not that dumb after all. But that's what it's about. How do you bring that together in, in something that's actually meaningful, but it's two words? You did a good job on that, Paul. Did y'all work on the ingredients? I mean, to kind of land on y'all's palates. I mean, it's smooth. It's so good. How did y'all work on that process with the ingredients? Thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. Oh, boy. 14 straight months. We took three three-grain mash bills over the course of 14 months, blended those mash bills to create a four-grain that was perfectly nuanced and had an equal sensory proportion. And it took a long time. And I used to go to Ian's house. And he used to have these measure, uh, graduated measuring cylinders all over the kitchen, all over the living room. He was up all night blending this, that. Two, and, three in the morning. You it know, was and, crazy. But it was during the pandemic, right? And we lived. And we got to stay to together. Other. We got to be, yeah. you know. And so it was just this kind of great process where, you know, it was a blessing. One of the blessings of this nutty time was that he and I got to really buckle in and just sort of hunker down and blend and create this yeah. company and kind of uh, the one chair. Um, a shining, bright, shining thing through this whole, you know, dark time. Well, because the thing about it is, Chris, and, and anybody, and I know a lot of people went through this in a similar way. There are a couple different avenues. 
particularly when you're building a company in the middle of a global pandemic, you have the ability <laughs> to stay in one place and focus. And typically this guy and I are either shooting other shows or you do a lot more film st stuff and traveling. We're, we're running around the world doing huge conventions and comic cons and building fan base and, but also interfacing and loving connecting with our people. But this company, we set out to do this, but two of the core things that we knew we needed, and you and I have spoken about this at great length, we needed immediate approachability. If you're going to come out with a bourbon, you better have left no stone unturned and you better come out of the gate with quality. A, and we try not to use this word, <laughs> we, we rag on each other a lot about it, but you are coming out as a celebrity brand. Let's call it what it is. People are going to want to skewer you and they should. So it has to be uncompromising quality. Now to get there is another, is a whole other animal. It's another process. So what you do is, is from the beginning of the process, this is something that Paul and I sat in my kitchen, in my living room, out by the fireplace, out by the pool. Hey, let's go down to the barn and try it and change our palate up. Uncompromising quality. Immediate approachability out of the bottle. Boop. You can pour this, whether you are a Gen Z or LDA Gen Z, obviously 21 to 24, a millennial or your mom or dad or my 70 year old mom or 80 year old dad, you could pour this out of a bottle into a glass and drink it. Drink it neat. You got to have that. But it also has to have a complexity that a bourbon lover, a true bourbon lover like us or you or the millions and millions and millions of people out there can drink this and say, this is a crafted spirit. I am inspired. It's inspirational. It's aspirational. It's yummy. It's smooth. I don't have to think about it. And it's all about the experience. And that's what we did all day, every day into the wee hours of the night. It's reflected in the, in the product. No doubt about it. What, what is so awesome about me getting to know y'all is y'all are pure in your your intentions. So a lot of folks follow y'all on Instagram and all of the above, the social media platforms. Responsibility in anybody involved in the beverage alcohol business is key, right? So tell us a little bit about your thinking about that. Ian, you had mentioned over legal purchase age and so forth. Why is that so important for y'all? Responsibility. Yeah, and I think exactly what you said is, you know, we're very aware of the fact that, you know, a lot of obviously our show premiered, what, God, how many years ago now did it premiere? I was cast, you were cast but, but approximately before, yeah. 12 so, years ago, right? Yeah, but like February is when we booked the yeah. show. Yeah. We shot the pilot in the first week, first three weeks of March. Yeah. And, well, in, uh, in any case, uh, the, 2009. The, the point being, a lot of those fans of ours or viewers, I should say, yeah. grew up and they're all, you know, now perfectly, you know, whatever. If you were 11 in 2009, but, right, you but, are a grown adult. Right. In the workforce. But at the same time, we're very aware that a lot of younger folks are rediscovering or discovering, I should say, the show on Netflix or, you know, whatever, however they're buying it, iTunes. And we have a responsibility to make sure that we're being teaching responsibility to people yeah. who are young and malleable and easily influenced. And so we can't, you know, we have that responsibility because we do have some younger fans, frankly. Yeah. And, and this is something that Paul and Vincent and myself, you know, we're the three co-founders of the, of the family, family, we are a family of the, of the company, of the organization. And 
One of the things, and this is something he and I have spoken about a lot for a long time. There's a couple of levels, right? There's corporate responsibility, which we are a company. But then you have this other side of us. And again, it sounds really sort of self-serving and I'm not trying to sound that way, but because we were actors in a successful television show, you could go so far as to call them celebrities or influencers, however you want to categorize it. We also have a social responsibility within our own right as actors because of the level of activation or let's call it access that we have to people. Not to sound too cerebral about all this, but now when you combine that level of sort of, let's call it global celebrity status and a company that is an alcohol company, you have a tremendous ability and responsibility to act socially responsible. So when you bring all that together, you get hundreds and hundreds of minutes and hours of conversations between us, figuring out with our teams how to structure that, how to galvanize the celebrity side with the foundational organizational side of a company to build change through an alcohol brand. I mean, these are highly complex situations that are meaningful because when you put, and I say this, I say this again in all humility, when you put our socials together globally with China included, it's 81 million followers total. Now, mind you, that's not The Rock or Cristiano Ronaldo or any of those guys, but it is a very substantial amount of people. And we take that very seriously. This kind of leads into the sustainability bit. But before that, what is great with what y'all are doing is y'all are so passionate about American whiskey and the promotion of American whiskey, even beyond Brothers Bond, right? You're aware of uh, the tariffs that we've been grappling with and so forth. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because it's probably in line with y'all's commitment to uphold high standards of responsibility Y'all shot a Spirit United video for us just to uh, bring people together that are passionate about this industry to get them involved and engaged for social responsibility and the betterment of the industry. Could you talk about that? And then what I'm excited to also talk about is the sustainability and generative farming. But why is that so important to you? And I think y'all are looking, looking forward to taking Brothers Bond overseas as well, right? Yeah, I mean, we when we shot that video, we were sitting right here when we shot that video for Spirits United. And the cool thing about Spirits United is it's really ultimately, if you sort of break it down to brass tacks, we've become such businessmen, like, you know, because it's just, there's so many levels of it, right? It's really, Spirits United is a tool. It's a tool to bring people together to help support legislation for the distilled spirits industry. You've got to have levels of support for this industry the same way that we would have support for the film and television industry. Absolutely. And people may see it. And Paul and I talk about this all the time, because again, it goes back to bond. See these two little guys right here. It's about people. It's about people. So corporations or let's call it industries are made up of people. They're mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, they're moms and dads that are out there. So the, so the spirits industry is a group of people that have families that support their families. And the American distilled spirits industry is at the core of what we do. 
And also, so are the farmers. So this is about building not just farmer prosperity or the prosperity of the members of the distilled spirits industry, but about prosperity for American families. And when you do that, these are American families that work hard to put this into a bottle that then goes. And this is something because he's first generation Polish and my family, they came here way back when, but all from Europe and Eastern Europe. But this goes across the pond or to Asia or South Central America for people to enjoy again with other people, their families, their friends, invigorating and inspiring their thoughts and their social circles. That's the American spirit. It's also like bourbon is, you know, why we're so honored to do bourbon is because bourbon is the American spirit, right? Like you cannot it's, make bourbon. It's the true American yeah, spirit. Anywhere else. It's a very rigorous specific process to making bourbon and we really honor those methods and right. um we're just thrilled to share those methods with the rest of the world but also too you know soon. but also too and this is something we were because we were just going through and really because it's obviously it's always so crazy right we just came from a bunch of on-premise stuff and our ceo was just here and our teams are going crazy and, but we wanted to stop and sit and distill all this so that we could speak intelligently because chris when we we're with you we get to actually talk about how important the business of the distilled spirits, let's call it industry or arena in this country is people also have to too remember that spirits united is what brings us all together. So it's not just celebrities that own a company. You're talking about distillers, blenders, mixologists, executives, bartenders, people at R&DC and other distribution companies that are stocking shelves and talking to retailers and training staff to actually understand where it's all coming from and how it means. And this, you know, like and you got to deliver all that the drivers. This, the this is drivers, like, it, yeah. Oh, I mean, think about this is huge. Like our distribution channels with all of our distributors around the country. I think Vince and I just ran the numbers. I think it's all of our distributors can buy 10,000. Well, we have, we're, we're in 11,000 points of distribution right now, but it's in 27 States, but our distribution partners, meaning the distributors, the drivers, the everything, the amount of people working, the amount of people working within the distribution chain for Brothers Bond right now is something like twenty one thousand five hundred. <laughs> so just Chris, not exclusively for Brothers. No, no, no. no but I'm saying <laughs> as no, but within the distribution network, think about that number, right? I come from a small town in Louisiana. Twenty one thousand five hundred people. That's bigger than your town, right, Ian? Yeah, right. <laughs> Hundred percent, yeah. The one, but that's amazing. Now imagine how many people are under or associated with those twenty-one plus thousand people: moms, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, kids, aunts, uncles, nephews, nieces. Think about what that does, and then you start getting into the hundreds and hundreds of thousands. And we're just one company, so that's why. Spirits United and why it's been so amazing being able to work with you. It's really, really brought this into focus for us. You know, it's funny. And, and again, not to sound too cerebral about it, but this is something Paul and I talk about all the time. There's this funny little thing in life. And Chris, you and I spoke about this at length. There's a funny little thing in life. It's like the most elusive thing we're all looking for 
there's no formula to it. You can't qualify it. You can't quantify it. You're like, what the hell are you talking about, Summerhalder? It's a little thing called purpose. And purpose-driven companies or people are the people you really want to associate with, buy from, work for, or work with. We say work with within our company. You don't work for me. You work with me. But how the heck do you find purpose? Like that thing that drives you every day out of, you know, out of... It wakes you up in the morning, gets you excited, right, Ian? Yeah, 100%. Well, when I was doing my work with the Ian Summerall Foundation years ago, I mean, over a decade ago, we, we, financed, we financed this study. And after hundreds of interviews and talking and all this rigorous work, we distilled literally into one thing where you find purpose, this qualitative like formula for finding your purpose. And we found out that it's when you marry skill with passion. And that's how you find purpose. Meaning if you can fuse together the things that you are good at and the things that you love, you all of a sudden find purpose and the world opens up. And this dude and I, I mean, we were mediocre actors on a television show, but we found our purpose, which is we make bourbon. And not only that, we help provide livelihoods or we are contributing to for families and farmers and people of business and so on and so forth, right? So whether it's regenerative ag, making bourbon, farmers, business people, distribution partners across the pond and everything that happens with, you think about the network of people that this affects, it's massive. And that's where we sometimes sit and look at each other and just go, wow, man, this is a whole other level. That's a good analogy about finding that purpose and passion. I mean, you figure that out what you're good at and what your passion is, then that drives your purpose. So, Paul, for you, uh, and I know Ian is a thousand percent passionate about sustainability. I mean, and, and Ian, you were talking about this. It starts from grain to glass. And Ian, you and Vincent, and Paul introduced me to Kiss the Ground, the great documentary where it helps us understand regenerative farming. I'm still learning how to say that word, by the way, but it's, a, it's, it's amazing and it's simple, but it's not going to be easy to get the greater world to embrace it. Why is sustainability and regenerative farming a part of the magic for Brothers Bond Bourbon? And why is Brothers Bond Bourbon really a platform to help educate and bring people together on protecting the planet and making the world a better place? Because that is a big part of y'all's purpose, right? In a big way. I mean, I'll let you speak about it because, it, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, we are an agricultural company. Our mash bill, our, our liquid is, is corn, wheat, rye, barley, and those are all grains. And so there's nothing more obvious than to do something sustainable with those grains. In a way, serendipitous that Ian had been so heavily involved in the regenerative agriculture space. Yeah, so wild. We, we... Yeah, because then when we when we started this company, it was just so obvious. It's like the stars aligned, right? Yeah, I mean, it was just obvious. Again, you know, and so it was like that purpose. Yeah, so we were like, of course. Well, we have to. We have to be sustainable, and so so that became a big part of our mission. And so that's for us 
how it started. But Ian is the one who ultimately really introduced us to this concept. Well, the whole idea, like, I mean, it goes back to, we were talking about this because we, we share such different upbringing, the stories that he has from growing up in Europe or in Poland, you know, how natural everything was. Everything went from ground or grain or to the table, literally. You know, and that those unlike here with processed food, right? Exactly. But those I mean, were, me and my grandpa used to literally have to drive to like ten different locations yeah. to get ten different products. Yeah. Because every product go to a farm. was individually created at you know, and obviously we live in a different time now, but I have such deep nostalgia for simpler times. And now everything is so industrialized and it's just something that I keeps me up at night. So if we can help go back to sort of what, how things are meant to be, the, the way grain is meant to be sort of harvested. You know, mimicking, mimicking nature. And it's the like same nature. thing. Remember we were talking, because we were talking about how leadership played such a huge role in it. And in the movie, we have this clip with FDR and he is standing on the back of that train and he says, um, you know, again, how bold he was. His son is holding him up. He can't even stand this powerful man. And he says, we are going to work with nature instead of trying to buck nature, which is what we've been doing, right? And they and they realized, because they got their asses handed to him in the 30s with the Dust Bowl uh, in the 20s and 30s, because not getting political here, but, you know, the U.S. Army and every American coming from westward expansion destroyed the great buffalo herds of the great American West. When you kill all the hooved herding herbivores, that their hooves till all that soil and their urine and their feces, you know, fertilize. fertilize all that soil. And then they move on, which is what, you know, planned grazing is. Nature kept that amazing symbiosis between those giant hooved herd of herbivores, say that 10 times, and those grasslands that were enormous carbon biosequestration fields. I mean, at scale. Then you take that away, which we did, killed 60 million head of buffalo. And then you start an industrialized form of agriculture. Well, it really kicked in after World War II, but what did we do? Pesticides and all of that, right? We started tilling and degrading the soil. And then you're exactly right. We had all these inputs, right? Petroleum-based inputs and all of the chemicals that they had basically brought back from World War II, which let's call them chemical companies, had rebranded them as pesticides. And then thus started this cycle, right? So I guess the question goes back to how do you now with the populace, you know, population's huge. Now, at this level, how do you go back to nature? It's actually quite simple. But like you mentioned a little while ago, Chris, so it's not going to be easy to get all this transition. But the cool thing is, and it's, a, I think the only time you'll ever hear me say the cool thing is money talks, walks. It is financially better for large scale farming farmers and companies that own farming companies or the farmers themselves to practice regenerative farming to mimic nature. And people say, well, what the heck is regenerative agriculture? To break it down for anyone listening, unless they're sleeping, they might be, they might be sleeping or they probably just drank a bottle of bourbon thinking, God, I can't listen to these guys anymore. But 
what is regen agriculture? And it is the use of planned grazing methods and using living, growing plants at scale to sequester enormous amounts of carbon dioxide and store it safely back in the ground where it belongs. Natural carbon capture, right? That's it. That's it. And we have the ability right now from Eastern Kentucky to Nevada, basically, this whole thing in between called the United States to build the single largest carbon capture food economy in the world. And with Kiss the Ground and Regenerate America, which I can't wait to work with you on, we are going to actually do that. But we will be a part of the change that drives that change to building a carbon capture food economy. And that's what we do. I mean, with steadfast conviction, we know that we stand behind that. And it is not only possible, it's not even probable. It is happening. Ian and Paul, check this out. A, a couple of weeks ago, we have a partner member. They're called Bioenergy, and they're, they've got a plant in Baltimore. And basically, they take organic food waste, and they have a process. I've got it right here with me that can make pellets that can be a contributing factor for regenerative farming. It is awesome. I can't wait. When y'all come to D.C., they've got a unique formula I mean, I'm not proficient enough to really get into the details, but when I was there, I was telling them about you both and, of course, kiss the ground. Uh, they'll be excited that I mentioned this in the podcast, but it is brilliant. Everybody, go check out Kiss the Ground. It was an aha moment for me, and it's a simple one, and it's non-political. It is not something it will make the world a better place, and it is almost a natural way to tackle climate change without interjecting in the broader politics related to climate change, because the farmers will be the beneficiaries of it all, because you can see the difference. Uh, so I've become a disciple on that. One question for y'all, switching gears a little bit, you know, as, as it relates to the pandemic, our bars and our restaurants and craft distilleries have all struggled and there's a piece of legislation called the Restaurant Revitalization Act, where to help our struggling bars and restaurants, Congress is looking for ways to, to help provide funding for these tough bars and restaurants. I don't know if in, in y'all's neighborhood that you've had any establishments close to you that have closed, but just in D.C., we've had a bunch. Oh, yeah. All, all over, man. Any thoughts? I mean, with the broader community you talk about the bartenders and the great person that is at the cash register selling Brothers Bond Bourbon or any of the other great distilled spirits products. Any thoughts about that and the importance of that? You've been to a bunch of great places lately well, that people are so excited to actually be back in business. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've seen it fall. Well, specifically in Los Angeles because the rents are so high, right? So to have brick and mortar in general these days is a novelty because everything seems to be, you know, online now. Um, and so a lot of these places heavily rely on foot traffic and, you know, that ceased to exist for, for a long while. And it, you know, a lot of places struggled and shuttered. And so I think things are starting to, to look a little bit brighter, but they yeah, a are little bit better. Yeah. But I do think let me figure out how to structure this because there's something we were talking about earlier in one of our big, big, big meetings about activations and about bringing bartenders together. And we were putting together a little bit of a fund 
kind of situation where we could bring bartenders together around the country and really celebrate their, not just their ideas of craft cocktails and, but share stories and actually connect and award certain bartenders or bars for cool things, whether it was all in good fun, but to make sure that we were helping contribute to that, right? Because these are the people and on-premise has just been destroyed, but these are the people who are out there talking about not who cares, not just our bourbon, but everyone's. And again, those are families and my sister and my brother and my brother-in-law and I, my brother actually ran it too, but we had a family business in Sun Valley, Idaho that I financed many, many years ago with money I was making and lost of the pizza, pizza place in Sun Valley. And it quickly became the best place, you know, to eat in the Valley. And it was successful, but it broke the backs of my sister and my brother-in-law while raising two small kids. When we moved to a much bigger place, it was our bar patrons and the families that would come in and the business meetings that would come in that kept us going and allowed us to give great incentives and lower costs on food and stuff for families as they were coming in. And I got to see this in my mid-20s, right? Got to understand how that business works. And man, let me tell you, it's a great business when it works, but it's hard, it's hard work for people. And so I think. Congress has the ability to make sure and in larger corporations, the big alcohol companies and the big hospitality companies and restaurant companies have the ability and they have been taking care of their staff. But I think that we need to go a little farther. And I know that we can. Having Congress make sure that they do take care of these staff and allow them to become a part of this economy again is really important. There was this amazing quote by from Warren Buffett. He's like, do whatever you have to do right now to fix it. We will deal with it on the other side, which we're we're starting to now. And obviously there are some things that are kind of a little scary right now. Recalibrating. Like, yeah. <laughs> like inflation's a little scary. But at the end of the day, you have to take care of those families. We cannot have American people who work in the bar and restaurant business with their children and their households going hungry. That is not an option in this country. So we're excited to, to, to see where we can institute and be a part of that change that actually helps them because we're going to get back on track. We are, and we're going to, we're starting to see it now. So that is incredibly important. Well, thank you for that. Look, I've got, I've got two, two questions. One could be a quick one, but I've had a lot of experience in the political kind of forums meeting and working with a lot of uh, political people. But my my exposure and sorry to hear that, Chris. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I have limited exposure to uh, Hollywood thing, but I'm a fan just like anybody else. Y'all are so grounded and it is awesome. Paul, you're from Poland, obviously, in your upbringing. And Ian, you haven't forgotten where you come from. Uh, what's that all about? Y'all are uniquely grounded and it's it's what it's all about, right? Because you got 81 million followers. You got 81 million people living on the edge, seeing what's going to be on the next social media post. Maybe it's because both of our moms would smack us in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell, uh, first of all, thanks for the kind it's words. It's super kind um, of you. By the way, I you always, have a point. You're right. I we always, grew up in an age where yeah. we were bad. Our moms well, yeah. spanked well, us. It's just different. Uh, you know, Wouldn't back in the day, there was no social media. And 
You, just, you act up, your mom smacks you in the face. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we did. We came from great families who, who always taught us humility. That makes all the difference, right? Yeah, it really does. You know, my, my mom and my dad always. Humble families, too. Yeah, very humble. I mean, dude, your grandfather, what he taught you, you know, his yeah. grandfather was part of the Nazi resistance living in the... The Polish the, resistance. The, no, in the Polish resistance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 I got that. Good clarification. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. But living in the forest. Yeah. Paul in Warsaw. Yes, it, yeah, in Warsaw. And and he was... Uh, His grandfather yeah. was amazing. Yeah, yeah. He was he, he was incredible. He, he, he taught me my values in many ways, in addition to my parents. But he spent a lot of time in Poland with him, the things that he went through and the hardships and troubles. And I have incredible photos of him from World War Two. And, and uh, just some, you know, it's funny, I, I was I did a, a different podcast the other day. And, and they asked me, I, anytime I sort of think about my trivial issues, or, or anytime I think about, oh, I, I wish I did that show, or I wish I, you know, whatever, I mean, some, you know, BS sort of Hollywood uh, problem, right? I always think about him and I think about, you know, the losses that he had to endure and his father, that he lost his father in the war. And he was just a young kid and living, you know, in the forest, trying to, you know, in this guerrilla warfare and just trying to survive. And I think about him and he maintained a smile on his face. He was older and always was kind. And I just sort of always, they taught you a lot. I always think about him and I'm like, I can't put on this pretentious act. I need to be you know, version of him in, in many, in the modern world. And so I try to think of him in many ways. Keeps it is around. true. It is. We came from humble beginnings and I will live in a humble way. And I will always, I will raise my children in a humble way because I said this to Bodhi the other day, you say this to a four and a half year old and it typically goes right over their heads and she got it. We were talking about humility and breaking it down. She hears me say this in the household all the time. Here's the thing about humility. And I learned this a really long time ago in life. If you do not seek humility, it will find you. It's just a matter of how it finds you. And it's true. So we can only hope to still be boisterous and have fun and like celebrate and promote our company, but also have a blast, but come at it from a humble place because we came from humble beginning. That's, that's the only way, you know? So to you, brother, I salute you, man, for doing this with me. And to people like you, Chris, you set a tone, man. The toast to you, Chris, you set a tone. And your passion and energy and drive really sets the stage for significant amounts of change for all of those people to experience better lives. So to you, man. Big triple cheers. We haven't met in person yet, uh, but... I feel like we're brothers in bond. We're auditioning for a third brother. So if you want to come in and read for it, you know. I am looking forward to us getting together at some point. And really. DC, I'm going to see you. We're going to see you in um, in April. That's right. That's right. And then we're going to see you in June. In June in New Orleans at the Discus Annual Conference, June 8th through the 10th. And let me just say this. On behalf of the Distilled Spirits Council and the industry, we are grateful that both of y'all have really joined the spirits community. And we appreciate y'all's passion and commitment to make the world a better place and bringing us together. Everything that you're doing from sustainability to responsibility 
and bring in great bourbon, not only in 27 markets in the United States, but all around the world and in support of Spirits United as well. So Ian, Paul, cheers. And Chris, I'll just add to that. Thank you, brother. And we are grateful to be part and be partners with Discus and Spirits United to take the American distilled spirit the, that celebrates and helps prop up the American farmer and American industries across the globe to celebrate together with our fellow humans. There are no country lines, but thank you, brother. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers brother. Cheers, Chris. Cheers, Cheers everyone. Thank you for, for mm-hmm. listening. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Spirited Advocate by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. And thanks also to our amazing guests, Paul Wesley and Ian Summerholder, for telling us about their journey into creating Brothers Bond bourbon and their mission and purpose. Make sure to ask your bartender for Brothers Bond bourbon. Be sure to visit spiritsunited.org to learn how you can make a difference for the spirits industry. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. I'm Chris Swanger, and this is the Spirited Advocate Podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. Thank you.